0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Raj Patta and I'm a minister in Stockport United Circuit and uh, each week we are joined by a guest from different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm really excited to have with us Victoria Turner, who is a PhD candidate in World Christianity at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, she explores the changing theologies and practices of mission from the middle of 20th century. Uh, I'm really pleased that Victoria is with us. And hi, Victoria. Hi. Thank you so much for the
1: invitation.
0: Politics in the podcast this week, and uh, I am particularly interested because Victoria has been very vocal on issues of justice and peace. And uh, with your latest book, which is to come this week, I mean end of this month in February, so I'm I'm really really excited for that for that book to have a, a copy of it in my hands and to read it. Particularly, I mean the title "Young, Woke, and Christian." I mean, such a fascinating and provocative one. So maybe I'll it will be good for us if you can introduce yourself a little more and uh, share about what this "Young, Woke, and Christian" means.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm in Edinburgh at the moment doing my PhD um, in World Christianity, um, and I did my master's. <laughs> In world Christianity first, and um, I think it just completely changed my whole perspective of how I understand my own religion. Um, just reading like post-colonial theology, liberation theology, I was like, "Oh, this is way more fun than what you know I listen to in church <laughs> usually." Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess I kind of just saw the book. Kind of came from me being constantly frustrated um, by seeing kind of all this negative energy around young people in the chip. so you have kind of the phrase the missing generation and I was like well I'm here (laughs) and I know so many other young people who are here so like how are we missing um and in a sense I felt like calling us the missing generation meant that there was no need to listen to the young people who were actually there and I just get so frustrated with so many like studies about young people by like youth experts that kind of paint us in very certain ways so like many books will talk about only evangelical young Christians and kind of make that seem like homogenous to all young people whereas I read these kind of things I'm like oh that's not me at all like most of my friends aren't Christians and you know things like that Um, and also then kind of charge nature around especially like environmental like campaigns that obviously young people are so enthusiastic about. I kind of have heard the thing, oh, well, young people only care about the environment because it makes them feel better so many times. And I just can't understand like how that makes sense to people. Like, of course, we're not doing it because it makes us feel better. Um, so I just think there's this constant like pushing down of justice issues that young people are finding so important. And I find it really offensive the way people throw the word woke about. Um, Because for part of the book, I did like a big, so I'm a historian, so that was one of my favorite bits, like looking at like where the phrase woke has come from and kind of found it can go with Angela Davis, like as kind of the emancipation of slavery time when black women were kind of realizing like, oh, wait, this marginalization we have, we have a different kind of consciousness of the world of the world. And so actually it's a really loaded, beautiful phrase. Um, and Anthony already talks about in the prologue that we should all be work. and if we're not work, what are we then? We're, we're pro-slavery. We're pro-capitalism. We're not anti-racist. Like exactly. So yeah, the charged nature of the book is very fun. I've been so surprised and shocked and amazed at how people seem to be really in- interested in it. Um, yeah, it's great.
0: It's fabulous, As I said, I'm really looking forward to have a copy in my hands. Uh, I mean,
1: from what I've read
0: you talk about about missing generation and what I understand woke. I mean I I see that you're proposing a woke church for the twenty first century. So what are what is your vision for this woke church?
1: So I was just um in US Youth Assembly this um weekend. So I was surrounded by like around a hundred young people from the age of fourteen to twenty six. Um, so today I'm slightly exhausted, but also like very rejuvenated. Um, and I was asked to do like a little sermon about that, like what I see the future looking like. So I used the passage of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, and um, kind of touched upon how like Jesus um, commends her for like arguing with him, like she she him, kind of, you know. Um, and some people will like, like say she changes Jesus's mind. Um, but after listening to the woman the um, I kind of am more on the side of she didn't change Jesus's mind, but Jesus used her in this narrative to change his disciples' mind, who are in the context of that like her triple marginalisation of her religion, her race, and her um uh, her womanness, <laughs> um was like something that was you know they had authority of her and that wasn't questioned, and you see after this conversation. Jesus's ministry to the non-Jewish communities increases. So like this encounter of her, helping Jesus display the problem, pushes his ministry and, and the ministry of the early church into a different direction. So how I saw it was like, Jesus was telling us as, as this group of young people that we shouldn't shy away from conflict. And I think the church, a lot of the time, just try to dismiss and bury conflict. Um, and it will like release statements that kind of put things very neutrally or in like a a positive light without talking to all of the parties and say well this is the authority and this is what we think and actually only by delving into these conflicts and these issues and really listening and exposing our wounds can we see what appeal and how to go forward in the future so yeah my idea of a way to talk is that like we embrace messiness and think about how to look
0: again in a way right yeah i mean fascinating thank you very much for that uh generally i also ask each week how how do we understand politics in the pulpit? like uh, are you yourself from what you have written and spoken i understand you are a, a pulpit political practitioner because the way you try to read it in the context of justice but uh for, from your own context I mean what would you want us to hear as key justice and political issues that the church today uh, needs to listen to
1: yeah i think that i get like constantly um upset with how like there seems to be no alternative vision of the world like um so i really love um bon Han's book the expulsion of the other because he talks about how we're no longer faced with the other. We don't have to listen. Like social media has just made like everything we see normal, and th- we've lost that like real difficult encounter. Mm. Like capitalism, so normal. Like the westernization of the world and and the exploitation of the majority world is just you know taken for fact. Wars and suffering and death is just like not like surprising to us anymore. Um, and I think the church and its prophetic voice does have a responsibility to say, this isn't biblical. Um, so the URC is this year thinking about its 50th anniversary, and we're using the Jubilee as a text around that. And I love the Jubilee text, it's incredible. So I did a little workshop using the JPEG Reset the Debt campaign. Um, and thinking about like Alan Bosack's idea of global apartheid to kind of say like, well, this isn't how the Bible is telling us to live. This isn't like, the teaching that's been protected for thousands and thousands of years. So we are not meant to just be like in the status quo of like individualization, individual peacefulness, because we happen to be in an area where our lives are a little bit easy. But actually, how can we think differently to the world and give like a different vision to the general hopelessness that's around us?
0: Yeah. I mean, profound, because I think if we can really live up to it and listen to this call, that we need to come out of our comfort, comfy zones, individualistic, that so-called peace, and then try to engage with the messiness and offer an alternative vision and strive for a difference in the world, what we are really called for. And thank you for emphasizing that this morning again. Uh, Each week, I ask uh, our colleagues from the Joint Public Issues Team for a little roundup of uh, of their expertise, what they think we might want to be keeping an eye on the world this week so some of the suggestions that i have received uh, are again we, we we know about the russia ukraine uh, conflict ex- escalation at that situation still up on the high and uh, this tuesday i mean this week which is starting the first of uh, uh, february it will be a one-year anniversary of the coup in the in myanmar and there has been a continued violence destruction and death throughout the year with the resistance efforts still fighting on. And uh, JP Joint Public Issues team have some resources on their website to mark the anniversary. And this week, the Winter Olympics starts in Beijing on Friday, which is a moment to be reminded of the persecution of the uh, Uyghur uh, Muslims in certain areas of China. And again, Joint Public Issues team will also be publishing some resources this week around forced labor and cotton in in Xinjiang, So we continue to remember the desperate suffering of people in Afghanistan where the economy has collapsed and aid is being withheld from the Taliban government. People are starving to death because there is no food and no money. So it is the global context that brings us. But coming to home, there are storms across the UK, number of people have been injured or died and there has been lots of destruction. And there have also been tropical storms in Mozambique, Malawi, and Madagascar. And also this week, the question of mandatory vaccinations in the NHS and the care sector. So, what is the right policy? So, there are there are it is quite an intense uh, geopolitical situation in which we live. But as we come to this week for this politics in the pulpit, uh, one of the sayings, metaphorical where we say is, "We open newspapers on one hand. Now let us open our Bibles." So, and every time we read a passage, uh, I have said it in the previous episodes, when I was working as a chaplain in the university, every time we read a passage, we ended by saying, how is this the word of the Lord? Generally, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and people respond, thanks be to God. But every time we read a passage, we asked, how is this the word of the Lord? So, over to you with the readings for this week, how are these the words of the Lord?
1: I really nice. <laughs> um the common thread I found through the Isaiah reading the Corinthians reading and um the Luke reading is this idea of like Jesus calling us and some kind of like resistance we have right um which I, I yeah they're really hard thanks guys like give me the easy readings reading. um but <laughs> I think that's like a really nice um thread to think about through all of them um. So I guess we can start with Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, 9 to 13, right? Yep. Um, yeah, so that theme of destruction we have in here is, is hard, isn't it? Like, it's, it's terrible. And like, when I think about it ecologically, like, that was quite, I was like, oh, I went to do this. Um, <laughs> but I read on a little bit, and it ends with, um uh verse 13 says, even if a 10th part remain in it, it will be ruined again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. So there's also that vision of renewal that comes at the end, um, which I found quite helpful. And I think that like, the, this idea though of the new life and the stump, it can also be a negative because I think that some churches and we can often have the tendency to be always positive, mm. like, oh, but Jesus has died for you, and you know that that kind of like positive nature. But actually, this is about God's anger. Um, maybe this is a call for us to be in tune with God's anger, and I love the sense of like prophetic anger. I think that's really important. Um, and how yeah. we can be in tune. And I think that God must be so angry at the world right now, at like our selfishness. Um, how we're destroying his land, how we're exploiting other people. And so I think to just kind of constantly talk about this individualistic positive nature. Oh, you know, Jesus died for our sins, but we're still, we're we're sinning a lot. Um, So I I think this is a call for that. Um, And then, of course, you've got this theme of like um, that denial that, Isaiah, like, is is denying God. Um, But then he has like, there's this otherworldly notion where um, he's like seen God and like you have the um the seraphs with and the and the with him and obviously they were super scary, angry yeah. characters. They weren't like nice, precious characters. When you go into the Bible, like if you saw one of those, you'd be like, oh no, thank you. I'm I'm good. <laughs> Let me just <laughs> drink my tea. God's like, please leave me alone kind of thing. And I think that that's that's really interesting to me. And that brought that made me think about this idea of wokeness actually like <laughs> um but like this idea when people say like when when you become awake and alan bosak talks about it when you come over the river like there's no going back like when your eyes are open you're almost in like another another world um because i think living in in the kind of fallacy of day-to-day that like everything's not that bad um it's quite tempting it's quite it's not it's not easy but like you can kind of just go through the motions right like, um, like denial is quite easy of how things are, but then when when we like see, we're co- we we then have to like live up to that seeing, like be that prophetic voice, have that anger, and that's like an exhausting and a really hard thing to do. Um, and like so, yes, was yesterday or the day before was the fiftieth anniversary of Bloody Sunday, right, in in Ireland, and I loved how a young Labour on Twitter responded to Keir Starmer. The tier, Keir Starmer was talking about how these events unfolded and Young Labour was like shooting all of these people didn't unfold. Like nothing unfolded, something happened, something deliberate happened. And it's taken us so many years to get to this place of justice. Um, and that, that for me was a nice example of like, Starmer's trying to you know, playing the political game, right? We don't want to upset anybody. Let's just kind of put it, you know, it was really sad what happened and these th- things unfolded and, oh, what can we learn from it? On where young 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 labor were like no no we, we keep being angry because this is a political injustice this is showing us how our system of law didn't help those families who suffered so much we talked about how the righteousness that these soldiers had to shoot unarmed people overturned yeah. justice right so mm-hmm. i think for me this isaiah reading is asking me like what's what's the godly thing to do in these situations and kind of decentering yourself and thinking of the world and like What's God calling me to do? Do I have, should I even have the ability to try and say no right now? Yeah.
0: I, I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you, Victoria. I think that's really helpful the way you pitched it with prophetic anger. And as you are sharing, I'm thinking maybe God, God's self is woke, he's trying for that difference. And, he, and how do we cope with this, with this prophetic anger on one hand? And how do we translate it as churches uh, today? And the other thing I was thinking is when when Isaiah was called, he said, here I am, I want to go. But there are many who do not want to go. I mean, how are we, who, whose voices are we hearing and whose voices are we not hearing? Because it's a call for all of us. So how, how do you, what are your thoughts in terms of people who are saying, I, I do not want to go. Or I do not want to go the, like the way you want to go. Or like the way the church wants to think to go.
1: Mm. I think that that connects with the next reading of it, like the Corinthians reading and what I wanted to say about um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11, where Paul has this like notion of like, he's putting himself down, right? I'm the least of the epistles. Um, I'm not important. Look at what this awful things. Through that, he kind of, Talks about how the grace of God is through him, and he t- kind of decenters himself to make the word that he believes through him kind of like pure. And I think that's so dangerous. Um, like, like, and I think when we think about like how we can hear yeah. the word, I think we need to really take our identity and our situation situatedness into account. And so instead of us like talking on behalf of others, because we think we know what's right. So I'm thinking of like um, the Archbishop of Canterbury releasing the statement about um, the LGBTQ plus bill in Ghana without talking to any Ghanaian bishops. Um, You know, we have the um, Palestine document from the Anglican communion where it was only written by Church of England people who only talked to the Council of Christians and Jews and didn't talk to any like Episcopalian Palestinians on the ground like so this kind of thing like how do we know that God is speaking through us when God speaks through everyone so surely first we need to listen um so I think there's a time for us to be brave but I think bravery can only come after we've been and we ourselves have been pushed towards justice right
0: I, I think you have pitched it really well with the first Corinthians reading where Paul is writing to the church about how the risen Jesus has appeared. But as I read this text, I see some distortions. Like in the Gospels, we know Jesus first, the risen Jesus appeared to the women. And then only the men disciples and others followed. I mean, but when when Paul accounts that, he goes on to say it's it's I mean, he has appeared to Ephas or Cephas or Simon and then the twelve and then five hundred brothers and sisters, and at last least of them. I mean how 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 some as a historian yourself. How things can be presented do differently from your perspective. Hmm. And, uh-huh. but, yeah,
1: I mean yeah. again, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, I love the difference in with women when when they are see like they see Jesus or they see God, right? Like they don't have. I don't think a lot of the time this like denial thing. I think women are in this like. Um, marginalised identity so there's a need for them to be like audacious mm-hmm. and be like Jesus I'm here don't put me down the whole world puts me down like I'm I, like they don't have space to like deny it I guess their lives aren't comfortable um, like like Simon Peters was when he was like no Jesus go away like <laughs> I'm just a, a fisherman <laughs> let me let me be <laughs> whereas like women don't they don't they didn't have that like the, the Syrophoenician woman was like my daughter's dying how dare you don't deny me kind of thing. The woman um with the with the menstruation problem or the or the blood problem touched Jesus' cloak because she was like, you're not like the world doesn't see me. I need you yeah. to see me. Like there's this belief, Mary's um, you know, you know, Mary's speech and when God came to her, like being, you know, we think she's about 14, like so. I think there's there's the difference there, like how we see women and like the courage that they have and it kind of makes you think like how sometimes when we think about the world and our privilege like we can be really overwhelmed with everything and think well what's the point of my voice like what's my voice going to do but like this idea of prophetic anger some people in the world can't have prophetic anger because they're in difficult situations so like in the COVID 19 pandemic women in south africa like the rate of domestic abuse went up so much it was like terrible and like these women are in such difficult situations and they're obviously in so much anger. like they they can't have prophetic anger like they don't have the ability to be angry because they need to self protect but, but we do and we need to be angry on their behalf
0: mm. yeah now, which which is good I mean again as I read this first Corinthians 15 maybe God is inviting us as listeners to have that prophetic anger and, and bring history from the perspective of those on the margins Particularly, like, reason Jesus appeared to the women disciples, and then to the men, and so on and so forth. I think we need to we need to ensure that history is heard from the perspective of the margin. I mean, Paul again from his own privileged situation. Maybe he is writing it that way. He first appeared to Cephas, and then to five, the other twelve, and then to five hundred people, and at the last to himself. Maybe he's writing it from his own perspective. But I think this is also inviting us as listeners this week to, to encourage and see that history needs to be projected and we need to hear the voices from the margins and uh, understand it that context
1: and i think there's like a right way to listen to the voices from the margins as well like in history hmm. so i think a lot of the time historians can be quite like gatekeepers <laughs> of the past um And you see like in World Christianity, people are very much about like elevating the voices of non-white Christians in the records, but to an extent that like, we don't contextualize where they're from. So like we had with the Council for Admission, a series of talks, and one of them was about interrogating the archives. So Carol Troop did a brilliant job, Um, but a load of historians came from like the States and kind of like infiltrated the theological space and they were a bit like, well, you're taking the of this woman, and we're interpreting it so much. Like, how can we protect like that voice and Carol's? Well, not how can we protect it because her voice connects with me today and the church today. And I think that's this tension between like theological and historical ways of understanding the past. Because when I'm thinking about these big themes like empire, colonialism, racism. And I go back to like maybe the start of the London Missionary Society, and you see these like darkness versus like like, oh, light, to save the heathens kind of thing. Like we can put that in context and say, well, yeah, that was a normal thing. They they thought they were doing the right thing by preaching the gospel, but actually, if we think about today, it's not that different. Like Harvey Kiriani in his book *Multicultural Kingdom*, it's a great book. He's talking about how the the black churches in the UK, like the migrant churches are like growing and they're amazing. And the white churches that are shrinking, we're not asking them for help. Like we're not like going into that space and being like, how are they getting so many people? What is it that they've got that we're missing? Because we already think that we know the answers. And so the relationship there is still one of hierarchy rather than one of like learning and equality.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that is a learning for us to speak that we we need to be willing to learn from the voices on the margins, and that also takes us like Paul goes on to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I mean, you would know the French philosopher Descartes' word, "I think, therefore I am," but Paul is, I think, telling the church, by grace, I am. So what what are your thoughts in terms of our constitution as i am i mean who
1: we yeah, are yeah it's like the idea of calling isn't it which is really nice I, like, taking us away from this like enlightenment kind of rationalistic thinking of of power i guess and kind of yeah by the grace of god i am what i am and this is my calling but that doesn't mean that i don't need to interrogate my identity and why i have that calling and how this calling affects the world right
0: yeah so i mean i i was also reflecting on this african philosophy of ubuntu mm. because we are so maybe if you, if you extend paul's words by grace i am and i am because we are yeah so that 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 really helps us to think that we live in a community and we have a responsibility, and our village really helps us to define who we are, global village or context in which we live. So, that's the, that invitation that call what we see in this text as Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. So, I mean, then that takes us to the Luke Gospel, chapter 5, as you know, the again, the call of Peter. I mean, so what, what are your thoughts in terms of? The call the fishermen, people, being called by Jesus.
1: Yeah, that, that, the thing that, you know, is normal to reflect on in this one is that kind of, they dropped everything and they followed Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of went from this, like, Jesus, like, go away, like, let, you know, the, the the catch didn't work. We don't have fish. That's fine, but please don't sink my boat. Stop, stop making my life so different. Please, like, so okay, fine. I'll just drop everything. Follow you. And I guess we we don't do that um, in the Western world. And I was in um, a transformative ecumenism uh, webinar series with um, Korean Institute for Future Ecumenism, the World Communion of Reformed Churches, and the Council for Mission. And someone from the Council for Mission, Sadiqta Singh, you know, you know, yeah. um, it was at the time where the kind of like the farmer strikes in India were just happening against Modi's government. Um, yeah. And we were talk- we were reflecting on like a house church revival and like, well, how can we make communities in our church? Like, well, house churches are so good. And Sadiqta was like, no, not everyone has a house, <laughs> like Jesus isn't in houses. Jesus is on the streets protesting and I was like ah oh, that's beautiful yeah yes absolutely that is beautiful and especially in our context where like the government's trying to stop protests and people are always complaining like oh like I can't get to my job because there's protesters on the road again and it's like yes because you need to leave that like normal view of life where you just trudge day to day and think about like well we're big visions what are we here for kind of thing well what is money for these big kind of problems and I think that's what Jesus is pushing us like get out of your pulpit and come on onto the streets like I love that um example of when all the lorry drivers around Christmas were stuck and the Sikh community straight away just went out and fed them yeah. and the Christian churches were still wondering wow can we open for worship on Sunday I don't know if it's safe but the Sikhs were there they, they were feeding yeah yeah. Uh, yeah I just think there's so much we can learn from from others there
0: i um, also Oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No,
1: no, no. Because I was going to move on to a different
0: point. No, I mean, brilliant. I think that is uh, that is an important call for us as churches. Don't be don't be too comfortable with whatever, wherever you are. Jesus' call is calling us onto the street, calling us into action. Just don't uh, what do you call, don't make meetings and committees and procedures. It is about actions. And therefore, when Jesus was calling Peter was calling him to action
1: and there's also um a thing that's telling us like in this text just because you tried something and it didn't work doesn't mean that you shouldn't try again Hmm. so like they said um yeah that it didn't work and then jesus tried yeah. it again. They said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And mm-hmm. I think so often people come into churches with energy, like, let's try this. And someone who's been there for ages and they're run down and they're tired and they're like very much finished. They're like, we tried that 10 years ago. Nobody came. Let's not do it. Mm-hmm. But it's like there's new energy. There's a different context, new people, like we need to have like this kind of the passion and the willingness to keep trying and to keep protesting and to keep like pushing forward this view of justice um and not think like because it's really hard like what what does that what really does our voice mean so like you asked the youth this weekend in our youth assembly just um affirmed motion against um conversion therapy but all the young people were like we disagree that it's harmful we don't want to practice it in the URC churches. and um, You know, the bit—the main body of like adult, <laughs> URC and some young people um, already passed it. We released a motion on behalf of one person, but we were like, as a collective of young people, we still think it's important that we, mm-hmm. as our little voices together, <laughs> kind of say something. And going back to the Ubuntu theology, where like our, our one voice maybe doesn't mean that much and we can get bogged down, but like when we unite, actually like, we can make differences and the church can make a difference. Um, so I guess that that for me was a nice more like just keep trying trying push, 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 push,
0: I think I'm sure that is is—it's coming out clear and loud from this from this text because don't give up. You would have tried all through the night, but another another effort that can bring a difference. So I think you are encouraging our listeners to not to give up. Be patient, persevere and making efforts, of trying new things, resisting situations of injustice. That's what our call is. And I, I mean as I further read this text, one of the things that caught my attention is when they had when they had the catch of the fish in verse 7 of Luke chapter 5 for me this, this stood out for in Peter's life. I think this was one quality that Jesus liked on his CV so Verse seven, they said. So they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled boats so that they began to. Sail. I think that signaling to share those resources. I mean, Peter and his friend mates wouldn't have thought, though this is not from my my group. This is not my my fishing community. This isn't. These are not uh, from my region, religion, or so. There weren't any any barriers there. As soon as there was a huge catch of the fish all this, all they did was signaled partners on the board. Which I think Jesus was impressed and therefore he said I think this guy should be on my team. <laughs> who, who, who is willing to share signal and uh, uh, willing to share the resources that have come to uh, that he has received that day. So I, I was thinking that's a learning for us as churches. How do we partner?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Build that signals of partnership the people who are working for the right cause for the consummative cause.
1: And that's such a nice metaphor, isn't it? Like being so full that the boat sinks. And it like makes me think of like encounters you have with people and like you become so full of like love and energy and like beauty kind of thing. Hmm. And like, I think like that comes for me when like sharing a meal with someone or when like on a pilgrimage so i did this pilgrimage with um a group with people in the dales and it brings like asylum seekers and refugees to the Yorkshire dales um just to get out of the hostile environment of the cities and we were just walking together like walking up one of the little mountains and just like that listening to someone's story and connecting and like halfway through the walk me and this one guy from afghanistan realized we both did taekwondo so, at the top of this mountain, we did like this taekwondo routine together. And it was just like, wow, like from different sides of the world, we found that something that united us. And like, he's Muslim, I'm Christian, like the trauma that he had in his life and my like, relatively, you know, Western life. Um, it was just like the beautiful moment of like, I felt so full. Cool. Um, And like how difference can make us feel so full too. So like New College in Edinburgh is like a very Christian space. Mm. Um, And my best friend is a Muslim. And so I was like working in my study room and he just like started praying next to me. And wow, like what a moment. That was like the very spiritual important moment I've had in that university. Like he felt so comfortable with me. And also like that routine of like piety and prayer just like hit me. Kind of made me try and kind of think about this space a bit differently, and that we're we're squishing out in in the academy, we're squishing out feeling, we're squishing out faith. Um, how we can like recenter that in everything we do, in like our academic practice. So, yeah, like so for me, like that fullness needs to be shared, and I'm I'm always full from hearing and seeing God in other people and like this incarnational theology. Yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, profound. It really, it really encourages as a church to strike new partner to build coalitions for justice and peace and strive to make a difference because we all need to work together and then this world becomes transformed uh, i mean that also takes us to the psalm for this week which is psalm 138 where it is about god leading and towards the end i mean psalmist was saying the Lord will fulfill God's purpose for me the steadfast love Lord endures for me Do not forsake the work of the hand. And so again, the psalmist was depending on God and God's steadfast love rather than on his own ability. And as you rightly pointed with Isaiah's vision prophetic anger call for prophetic anger, Paul's call of trying to see we are what we are because of grace and humility, then Luke's. Uh, reading where we see Jesus is calling Peter into from his comfort zone onto the street for a, a dif- to make a difference in the world by striking partners. So that that really helps us to, to wait on this God who is calling us not to something cozy uh, coziness, but calling us uh, onto a bumpy road.
1: And, and, and for me that the verse um that says, oh. Wow, yeah. Um where, where is it? Sorry. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. I love yeah. that. I love any verse that's telling me to like go into trouble from the Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's argue. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful, like this idea of like God's holding us when we like come into this. And I think like today that that's that's quite quite important, like with like our political situation and we're thinking about our leaders having parties and being like you know, so different. And like I love um Jack like, when talking about how like food prices for the poor have increased at a rate that's nothing like food prices for the rich. So like ten pound meal deals are exactly the same, but like past is so different. And yeah. like these things like we wouldn't notice and they seem and like feedbacks and everything seems so like overwhelming like well wow, the world just is how it is mm. um but like th- i think this verse is like we, we walk in trouble and like he's like almost like holding our hand i guess just,
0: yeah no, no, which, which is really good i mean god doesn't say i will not make you walk into trouble even when you walk in trouble i will preserve you i mean that's the strength that's the assurance So I think for which we need to celebrate our faith in God and try to wait on God because God is walking with us in that and helping us to make a difference. So thank you very much, Victoria. I think this has been a uh, conversation and thank you for all your insights on the readings this week and for sharing your wisdom and reflecting with us today. I'm sure all our listeners will be uh, happy listening to this conversation and for the thoughts that came out. So Generally, each week, we are asking people to bring in a question for us. And this week, uh, Matt Caesar on on the Twitter has asked, the second half of Isaiah 6 is a tough message for Isaiah to take to the people of Israel. So what do you think are some of the tough messages the church needs to hear today? And how can we deliver them from the pulpit? Uh, Yeah, that second half of the verse is hard, isn't it?
1: (laughs) like whoa (laughs) but i think like it yeah it's telling us that like it can be godly to keep Mm. talking about bad news like i love azaria france williams's ghost ship the book right because he just lays out the racial injustice of the church in england in such a profound way and a beautiful way and it's so upsetting and it is makes you really angry at like you know the heteronormativity of whiteness Mm. but that that bad news is beautiful Um yeah so what what does the church need to hear today like oh well where do you start <laughs> like <laughs> ableism I heard a story from a church who was talking about um well we don't need to put in a disabled ramp because none of our members are disabled <laughs> but, but then, you know um and and yeah like climate change like are we seriously still not divesting our churches? Like what on earth can be our justification that you're going to sit on a board and talk to people who only care about money? Is it, It's not going to work. Like we need to show a different path, a different vision and a different way of living. Um, and I think maybe for me that the biggest is that the church needs to come out of this sense that it, like, you know, the danger in Paul is this idea that we have this pure notion of, of the gospel that like you know is right mm. and actually like coming down from our thrones and while our churches aren't doing too well right now but the churches from the majority world can teach us so much mm. um and our political situation our, our our situation where like everyone's hopelessness in a capitalistic world of exploitation how can we think differently that's that's really what I'd love the church to do going to a sermon and thinking differently about the world and about God and how we can be inspired and inspire others and spread like the fish
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sure all the listeners who are listening to this will hear this hard message the right message in a way waking us up and trying to say we are called to listen to the voices around us and how how is god calling us to make a difference in the world well thank you very much uh, victoria for for giving your thoughts on this question and for for the entire conversation i thoroughly enjoyed and uh, thank you very much. So, uh, if if our listeners have enjoyed this episode of the Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We know that our listeners are passionate and knowledgeable people, so we would love to build a community of mutual learning and encouragement around the podcast. For so this series, we are asking for your questions ahead of each episode, and hear your thoughts afterwards. And the best place to join the conversation is on our Twitter, which is at pulpit underscore politics, or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit, or on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team's Facebook page and their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. So every week, I end with a question. So this, the question we are asking from this week's readings and conversations is, like what are the signals as followers of Jesus that we are giving to people around us in striking correlations and partnerships in order to make our world a just world, a transformative world? So Allow me to repeat, what are the kinds of signals that we as followers of Jesus are giving to people around us and how are we striking correlations and partnerships for justice in making our world a transformative world? So please let us know your thoughts on the Twitter or on the Facebook. Uh, But before we end, our listeners may be interested to know that the tickets for the Joint Public Issues Teams 2022 conference from the ground up, Unearthing Hope and Seeking Justice are available now. The conference will be held on site at OSS Waterloo and online on the 11th of June. So find out more and get your tickets at jointpublicissues.org.uk slash conference. Um, I should tell you, it, was, it the last time I attended, it was a fantastic conference. So please don't miss out to participate and be at this year's Joint Public Issues team's conference. So let us go into both our politics and our pulpits with a blessing at this point. May each of us be anointed with God's spirit to bring good news to the poor, to strike correlations for justice, to listen to the hard message and help people to see and strive for a world truthfully living and let the oppressed go through. Amen.